Well, my name's Jason. Um, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a chaplain, I'm just one of the local uh, Joes that uh, attends here at Refresh, and it's a real honour to be able to speak to you for a little while this morning about um, one of the topics that I love to speak about the most, and that's my wonderful God and Saviour. Uh, we're we're partway through a series looking at the I Am statements that Jesus made through the New Testament. Um, you know, I am the bread of life, I am the living water. Um, there are so many that he made. So we're having a look at some of those. But this morning, I actually want to start not with Jesus. Well, with Jesus, but not when Jesus was making that statement. I actually want to go back several hundred years to when God's people, the children of Israel, were slaves in Egypt. They'd been slaves for hundreds of years. They'd been slaves for generations. And in a mighty display, God comes down and he, through, through 10 miraculous miracles, he frees his people. 10 miraculous plagues culminating in the angel of death going through the whole land of Egypt and wiping out, killing every firstborn person and animal. It decimated the whole nation. And it was that that forced this proud king, this proud pharaoh, to actually listen to Moses and listen to the God that he was speaking on behalf of and let the Israelites go. Would have been an amazing time to live. Can you imagine living through that period? And so Pharaoh lets the people go, but it doesn't take long for him to change his mind. He wants revenge. He's burying his firstborn son, the prince of Egypt. And so he gathers the whole Egyptian army and leading them himself, he goes out after these people. And they find them cornered between the mountains and the Red Sea. They're there. They're right for the taking back. And just at that moment, suddenly, a cloud of light appears and acts as a barrier, standing as a, as a, a, a wall between the Egyptian army and the people. Now, I don't get this. It's a cloud, a cloud of light. I don't understand how fierce soldiers can't just go through a cloud. But they couldn't go through it and they couldn't go around it. And the God that was in the cloud then opened up the Red Sea. And his people walked through on dry land while he stood there as a cloud of light, a barrier holding back the Egyptian army. The Bible says that, that this pillar of light went with them every day that they were in the wilderness. The Bible actually says that the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. It was, it was a graphic symbol that the Lord God was with his people. An amazing symbol. No one could miss the symbol. There it was every day. And that pillar of light and fire gave them shelter from the hot sun, gave them shade during the day. It gave them warmth and light during those bitter cold desert nights. It was with them every day. It protected them. It provided for them. And for 40 years, it guided God's people through that desolate wilderness. And God spoke to Moses and gave him 
some special instructions about that pillar of fire, that pillar of light. God gave Moses a special um, uh, feast, a special celebration, so that they could always remember what God had done for them in the wilderness, so that they could pass that knowledge on from father to son through the generations, so that it would never be forgotten that pillar of light, that pillar of fire that led them for a whole generation or two generations, 40 years. And by the turn of the millennium, when Jesus was walking on this earth, that festival, the festival of tents or the festival of booths, it's sometimes called, or the festival of tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles, was still being remembered. And by the time that Jesus was living on the world, it was one of three big festivals in the Jewish calendar. It was one of three big pilgrimage festivals where all the people of Israel would descend on the city of Jerusalem for this festival. Can you imagine that? And not just that, out of all the big feasts, most people know about Passover feasts when they celebrated that the angel of death passed over their home. But this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents, this was an amazing celebration. It happened at the time of year just after a major harvest. So all the people were happy. The work was done. The harvest was in. They were praising God for the, his bountiful blessings throughout the year. And this feast comes along where they're praising God for, for providing and protecting and leading them through the wilderness for 40 years. It was an amazing feast. Everyone would come to Jerusalem. Um, friends that hadn't seen each other for the year were reunited. Family members who hadn't seen each other for a long time were reunited. And they would do something really special. They would go out and they would get these um, special branches and, and uh, palm fronds and they would make booths, they would make tents. For seven days that the ceremony went on, the celebrations, the party went on for the whole week, eight days um, more likely. They would actually live, not in their homes, in tents, in booths, in, in man-made structures that, that reminded them of what it was like living in the wilderness. They would eat in these booths, they would sleep in these booths the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents. And for me, when I think about what would that have been like, you know what I think of? Big camp! Anyone who's been to Big Camp at Watson Park, how good is that? A whole week of praising God and celebrating and catching up with friends and living in tents. Man, did you know we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, not quite, but you know what I mean. It was Big Camp all over again. And you know what? In this feast, there were some special things that occurred that had special meaning and were, were really amazing in their symbolism as well. And one in particular that I want to focus on this morning. At the end of the first day of the feast, the temple became gloriously illuminated. Picture this if you can. Four gigantic candelabras were set up in the courtyard of the women. This was the courtyard where everyone could go, men, women, children, anyone Jewish, anyone who had professed Judaism, they could all come in here. There was a massive courtyard out the front of the temple. These four massive candelabras were set up in the courtyard, 75 feet tall. And at the top of them, each of the four would break out into four um, arms. And at the top of each of these arms would be a massive golden dish. And into these dishes, every day, some poor priest had to climb up a rickety ladder, 75 feet in the air, and pour in 40 litres of oil. 40 litres. I was trying to 
Like, I don't like climbing up a ladder to the roof two stories high, let alone 75 feet tall, right? They would fill these things with 40 litres of fire and then it would be ignited. And for seven nights, these things would burn. Now, don't forget, the temple was made of gold and white marble. So the flames would dance off the walls and off the floor and just be, it would just illuminate the whole place. And don't forget, we're talking about a time when there's no electricity, there's no light switches. There's no staying up after dark and going out and having friends around for movies or anything like that. When the sun set, you lived by a little candle or, uh, or oil lantern or possibly the fire for, that was used for cooking. That was it. But for seven days of the week, in this amazing celebration, the whole temple courtyard just shone. And don't forget that the temple sat on the top of the hill overlooking the whole of Jerusalem. The whole of Jerusalem was illuminated by these candelabras. Can you imagine what that looked like to a Jew living in that first century? It was an amazing celebration. And not just that, but all the priest musicians would come out every evening and they would play their harps and their lyres and their trumpets and their cymbals and their drums. They'd play music. The the temple choir would sing and all the people would pile into this courtyard and they would dance before the Lord and they would sing praises to the Lord. It was an amazing celebration every night for seven days. And the candelabras specifically represented and reminded the people of the fact that the Lord, the great I Am who had spoken to their father Abraham, had been a pillar of light by day and a pillar of fire by night to protect and to guide Israel in that desolate desert for 40 years. He was their light. What an amazing symbol of God. So Jesus comes to the festival, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, soon before his crucifixion. The Jews are after him. People have been warning him not to go. He actually, he, he sort of snuck into Jerusalem. He didn't teach or, or speak or do anything for the first half of the festival. But towards the end of the festival, Jesus, the Bible tells us in John 8, was teaching in the courtyard of the women where these candelabras were set up, perhaps standing right next to one of those great lanterns. And probably on the last day of the feast, maybe just as the torches were being extinguished and the whole city, the whole courtyard just descended into sudden blackness, possibly at that moment, Jesus spoke up with a loud voice and declared to everyone in the courtyard, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine that? I am the light of the world. When Jesus said that he was the light of the world, he was saying, I was the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day when you were in the wilderness. 
and I am your pillar of fire and your pillar of light and oil. He was saying, I am your long-awaited Messiah. I am your Savior. I am your God. And everyone in that courtyard knew it. Well, the Bible has hundreds of references to light and dark. Um, you know, God's first recorded words were, let there be light. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that God is light and Satan is the prince of darkness. The fact that sin is hidden by darkness and light exposes it. About the fact that we are born into darkness and at our baptism we are reborn into light. It uses so much imagery of darkness and light. And when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He was saying, I can brighten your life in ways that you haven't even imagined yet. Lonely, follow me. Well, if I were to try to list the benefits that I've experienced from following Jesus in my life, we'd be here all week, man. We'd be here longer than that. Jesus can brighten our lives in ways that we haven't even imagined yet. But if we think about it specifically in the context of the pillar of fire and the pillar of light, and what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the light of the world, there are a few things that really stand out. First of all, his presence. That pillar hovered over the tabernacle in the wilderness for 40 years, and it showed everyone that their God was with them. I can't begin to fathom all the times that the children of Israel doubted God and, and went away from God and rebelled from God as they went through that 40-year journey. I just, I don't get it. It was there, they could see it. And Jesus in the Gospel of John says, If anyone loves me and keeps my word, my Father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our home with him. That pillar of fire, Jesus Christ, he wants to be present in your life. He's, he's standing there knocking, waiting to be let in. And then that pillar of fire provided amazing protection. You think about it. It stood as a barrier between the Egyptian army, sure, but for 40 years it shaded them. It gave them heat. It protected them from things like, you might remember, there was a story where snakes came in and invaded the camp when the children of Israel asked God to, to leave them for a while. His protection left. It was protecting them from snakes. It was protecting them from all sorts of things. It was providing them, you know, with, with all manner of protection and shelter. And in the same way, Jesus is our protection as well. No matter what you're coming up against, whether it's, whether it's challenges at work, whether it's problems at home, whether it's little day-to-day -day things, just protection in life, Jesus provides amazing protection. And then, more than that, Jesus shelters us from the judgment of God. He wipes away all the record of anything in our lives that we're not proud of, that's not godly. And he protects us from spiritual enemies and from spiritual attack and the war that's waged for our souls. 
And if you think about the Lord's Prayer, there's a part that I love when Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but save us from evil. And he cares for us in amazing ways and protects us in amazing ways day to day. Some of you may have heard this story, but it's a story that happened recently and and really impacted me. Um, Last year, middle of last year, I went skiing um, with two friends, Nigel Nick, two relatives, and... um, and on one day in the middle of the trip, we were on about the third run, and we were right out on the side of Mount Perisher, right, right over near the boundary of, uh, of, the, of the ski area. And it was probably about the third run, and I, I could see my line down the mountain. It was a beautiful day, blue skies, great snow. Um, and I'm looking at my line down the hill, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hit this patch of ice. And I, I kind of lost my balance, and I got caught unaware, and I spun out a little bit, and I had to kind of jump and try to not fall over and correct myself and I I ended up stopping and I looked back up I couldn't see the ice I'm looking up it's just all snow I just kind of I don't know what happened but it was was just weird Uh, and I remember looking at it and thinking wow that was bizarre and I looked back down where I needed to go and I was quite a bit off kind of course of where I had to go just because of what had happened and as I started to push off I looked down as I pushed off and I saw something fluoro green under the snow, buried about this far under the snow. And I reached down and I picked it up and there was a car key with a little green tag attached to the key ring. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, like this is our second or whatever, third run of the day. Like it's so early in the day that someone's already lost their car key. I thought, can you imagine for that poor sucker, they're going to go through the whole day not realising what strife they're in They're going to get to the end of the day. They're going to get to their car. They're going to put all their gear down. They're going to go to their pocket to get out their key and go, what do do I do now? What if I I haven't brought a spare key? Like finding a key in Perisher Blue Cow at the end of the day when people have been skiing and covering it and who knows what, it's worse than finding a, a needle in a haystack. And I was thinking this through and I was thinking, man, like... I don't know whether this person's a Christian or not. I don't know if they're a believer in God or not. I don't know if their first instinct when they realize they've lost this key is going to pray to pray to God and go, oh God, please, if there is any way you can work this out, please. And I thought, before they even realize, before they even ask, he's answered. That's amazing protection. And you know, in Isaiah, it's exactly that text. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And I, I started skiing down the mountain with a key. I put it in my pocket, made sure I zipped the pocket up really well. And I'm skiing down the mountain, and I'm just, I'm, I'm praying, I'm thinking, I'm going over this, and I'm just going, wow, God, like this is just amazing what you're doing. And I'm, I'm just so glad for this lesson that you're showing me. So I got down to the bottom, and there's a line, and, uh, and Nigel had been waiting for me, and we, we get down, we get in line, and I start telling Nigel what had happened. I said, like, this is amazing. Like, you think about it. And I was telling him the God thing and all the rest of it. And this lady behind us in line pipes in. And she goes, oh, look, I'm sorry. I couldn't help overhearing. Wow, that's amazing. And you're believers. And, like, you're talking about that. And it just got me thinking about it. And the person in front of us turned around when she had got involved. And we had this nice little Bible study going on in the ski line. It was great. And, um, and up we went. Nigel, we're going up the, up the um, T-bar, and Nigel said to me, oh, look, you know, 
We'll do a couple more runs and we'll head over to one of the bigger sort of spots where there's uh, staff and so on. We'll hand it in and whatever, that's fine. So we did a couple more runs and we're standing about two or three runs later in line and we're, um, we're about to get on the, on the chairlist and I just happened to notice that one of Nigel's pockets was open and I said to Nigel, oh, hey, mate, your zip's undone. Just do that up in case anything falls out. And he goes, oh, yeah, no worries. And he reaches into his pocket and he says, hey, mate, show me that key. It was our key. It was our key. Now, what are the odds? God protects us in amazing ways. In the big things, in the little things. Because he's present and he takes an interest because he loves us so much. Well, um, so... So let's think about God. There's his presence. There's his protection. He shelters us from the judgment of God. He helps us on a day-to-day basis. Then there's his provision. You think about that cloud of fire and light in the desert. It provided them water out of rock. It provided them bread from heaven in the form of manna. It provided everything they needed. The children, when they were walking through for 40 days, the children of Israel, their shoes did not wear thin. Their clothes did not wear thin. That presence of God just sustained them and provided for them in every way. And Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God still provides for us today. And he doesn't say, give us mountains of wealth that we can store in big barns behind our house so that we can get greedy and lazy. He doesn't say that. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And he promises to provide for us. And then you think back to that pillar of cloud and fire. It guided the people for 40 years. That cloud guided Israel through the harsh, untracked wilderness all the way to the promised land. And Jesus guides us through the wilderness of this world to our promised land, heaven. So when Jesus stood up in that courtyard and said, I am the light of the world... He was saying so much. How do we respond to that statement? Well, when we choose to follow Jesus and walk in his light, it makes a huge difference in our life. The Apostle Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. And that's in Ephesians. And I want you to note something. He doesn't say you were in darkness, and now you are in light. He says, you were darkness, but now you are light. Letting Jesus light into our life causes a dramatic transformation in our life. It really does. In the Bible, salvation is never spoken of as a, as a trivial matter. Those who are saved by faith in Christ are not merely improved. They're not somehow augmented. It's not a matter of just sprinkling a little bit of Jesus into our life. No. We are radically transformed. Radically transformed. Dialing up Jesus' light in our life causes a radical transformation in both 
who we are and how we live. It does. Are you ready for that? Are you living that? Are you experiencing that? Or, if not, then I can guarantee you that Jesus is calling you right now to a deeper relationship with him. I can guarantee you. If you don't feel that big, amazing transformation, if you don't see him working in your life, he's calling you to that now, today, right now. That's what he wants for each one of us. You know, when Jesus stood up and made those statements, there were many people who believed what he said and whose lives were transformed. But there were also people who started challenging him and questioning him and and throwing all these objections towards him. And there are generally two reasons why people choose to question and reject Jesus. First of all, Jesus actually explained one of those reasons when he said that some people choose to live in spiritual darkness and they love living in spiritual darkness because their deeds aren't in line with God and those deeds can be hidden in the darkness. That's the first reason why people generally reject Jesus. But then there's a second reason. You see, people can't see without the light. And when you live in darkness, you can't understand what you've never seen. And you don't even realize that you're in the darkness. And you don't even realize what you're missing out on. I have never wanted glasses. And um, probably about, oh, I'm guessing six to nine months ago, I went for a regular eye check and, uh, and we're going through all the bits and pieces and I'm looking at the chart and I'm reading out the letters and the, the, um, the, optim- the, the doctors saying, yep, yep, great, 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 and going on the different things and all the rest of it. And, uh, and then he's got this thing on my head and he's dropping different bits and pieces in, glass in and all the rest of it. You know the drill if you've ever had one. And I'm thinking, this is great. I'm not going to need glasses for ages. I can see everything. It all looks clear. I'm reading everything out. He's saying it's all good. And then all of a sudden, he says, right, I want you to read that line. And I do. And he goes, right, I want you to read it again. And he pushes a button. These two bits of glass drop in front of my eyes. And all of a sudden, the letters are crystal clear. And I'm like, hang on. And I say to him, get rid of them. Get them up. Get them up. Get them up. And he did, and everything went fuzzy. And in that instance, I realized that what my brain had thought was clear was actually quite fuzzy. And I'd never even realized. And I actually sat there. I did this probably about three times. The guy must have thought I was mad. I go, drop it back in. Take it out. Drop it in. Take it out. Wow. Apparently, I hadn't had an eye test for a little bit longer than a year. And my eyes had deteriorated quite a bit in about the three years that I hadn't had a test. But it's the same with people who are living in spiritual darkness. They don't know. They don't see. When I think about my community, my neighbours, my friends, my work colleagues, I can think of so many individuals who just don't know. People who are living in spiritual darkness and they've just got no idea on what they're missing out on. No idea of the the blessings and the light that that they're missing out on. 
And that's why Jesus tells us that we need to let our lights shine. That we need to let our lights shine. He says in Matthew, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. And in exactly the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what? Essentially, Jesus is saying, You're a torch. You're a torch. You're You're God's torch. (laughs) And every day when we get up in the morning, we need to make decisions that determine how we're going to shine. And there's a few things that, um, that you need to think about. See that? You're a torch. You're God's torch. And there are a number of things that you need to think about on a daily basis. Every morning when we get up, every evening when we go, do that, we go to bed, the way we live our life, every day we're thinking, you know what, I'm God's torch, this is me. And the first thing we need to think about is this. We need to decide what kind of torch we're going to be. Because we can be a torch like this, and I'll tell you what, it's all right, I've camped with this torch. And when it's pitch black and you're flying the torch around, it's not bad. So we can be a torch like this, but instead of being a torch like this, you can be a torch like this, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you see that? Everyone, yeah, you like that? (laughs) Now that's a torch. So the first thing we need to think about is we need to think about what sort of torch we're going to be. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you know what? If you want to be a torch like this, you're still a torch. But if you want to be a torch like this, the difference is that you're not relying on your puny little battery contained within yourself to generate your light. No, you're plugged in to a much greater source of power. And that's what makes all the difference as to what sort of light you're going to be. David says that your, your word is a light to my um, feet and a, path to, and a light to my path. How often do you spend quality time with Jesus? Like, you know, we talk about this, and you hear this, and this isn't new, so I'm not going to go on about it, but I'll tell you this. If you're not plugged in, if you're not charged, not once a day. I'm talking every moment of your day. Every time you have a break in your day, you're connecting, you're just just touching base. Hey, God, how's everything going? Is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything I need to know? How you doing? Like, every morning you're spending time in His Word, or every evening, or whatever works for you. You're connecting, you're recharging. It's got to happen if you want to be a bright light for him. How often do you let his Holy Spirit lead you and guide you? How often do you just spend time out from the busy day and just talk to God? Just talk to that spirit that is living within you. Reconnect, 
realize? Do you glance at the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Or do you study the Bible? Aren't you with me? Do you memorize his promises to you in the Bible? Man, these things are like your daily ammunition against the devil's attack. Promises like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You hit a roadblock in your day, there's a promise you can claim on. What about promises like, the Lord goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged in your day? This last week, did you ever get discouraged? There's a promise you can claim. Just like that pillar of fire and cloud going before the people in the wilderness, this says, your God goes before you. What about this one? My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Who's ever felt anxious? Do we memorize the promises as our ammunition in our day-to-day? There's a book. Um, I probably shouldn't promote it too hard. It was actually written by a relative of mine. But a book called Lingering Light. It's down in the um, Advanced Book Center if you want to get it there. It's only a few dollars. I read it on a return flight to Sydney. It's, it's not a heavy read, but it is a good book about how to get more out of the Bible you're interested in getting more out of God's word, his living word, maybe take a look at that or or look at other resources and and see how you can get into it. And if you struggle with making the time or understanding or knowing what to read, then ask him. Plug in. You can rely on others, you can ask other people, but ask him. If you can't make the time to, to take time out every day to read in his word, Say, hey, God, make time every day. Pray that prayer every morning, every evening, every day of your life for the next week or two. And I tell you what, it'll happen. You'll find a way. Rely on his strength. Okay, so the first thing we need to work out what sort of light we're going to be. Secondly, we also need to decide where you will shine. Jesus said, let your, sh- let your light shine before others. It's no use covering your light. We need to stick it where the sun don't shine. We need to find the darkest areas of our community to let our light shine. It's no use hiding it. It's no use being ashamed of talking about God. It's no use hiding that part of our life, which is such a big part of our life. When we talk to people, the way we respond to people, when people need help, whatever it might be, we need to put ourselves out there. We need to take our light and place it in the darkness of our community. There's, that's the only possible way Sorry, the only possible way that we can do that is by interacting with people around us in our community. Maybe some of you are the shy type. You go, well, I can't be that. That's perfectly comfortable with me. I know I'm like that. There are certain people groups at work and other things where I would feel really uncomfortable saying anything about God. Well, if you struggle with that, ask him. Pray about it every day for the next week and I guarantee you something will change plug in rely on his power well thirdly 
We need to live as children of light. We need to reflect Jesus' character. Um, The German atheist Nietzsche once said that if he saw more saved people, he might be more inclined to believe in a saviour. That's a pretty profound statement when you think about it. Christians who don't reflect the character of Jesus have a definite credibility gap. And so, that's the truth. If I told you how great my mechanic was, that my car was belching black smoke and sounded like a baby's rattle, I guarantee you, you would not trust my mechanic no matter what I said, right? And it's the same with how we live our lives. What good does it do to tell people how great our Saviour is if they can't see Jesus' light in us? His love, His compassion, His forgiveness, His care, His patience, His peace, His joy, His strength, His hope. If they're not seeing those things in us, But when people see the power of God at work in us, they will see a great saviour. And finally, we need to decide what we're going to do with our torch. Wow, is that the time? I should probably keep, get a wriggle on, eh? But look around, what's that? There's a flag. There's an aircon, thank goodness, that has been running now. What's this? Water bottle. You guys are looking where I shine the line, right? And what we need to do is this. Not this. We need to do this. You know what? We need to stand like this. Backs to the people. You're not looking at me. You're looking at that. You're looking at the cross, you're looking at God, you're looking at Jesus. We need to shine our lights so that, the glo- so that the Father is glorified. And you know what happens too often? If we don't do this, we do this. We go, hey, look at me, look what I did. Look what I've got, look how good I am. And, and it's not just, you know, there's, sometimes we think, well, hey, you know what? I don't have that bigger ego, I don't do that. But it's, sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's, oh, look at me, I'm not that, I'm not good looking, I can't do that, look at me, I've got, didn't counselling, didn't help, look at me, it's the same thing, we're shining on ourselves, we're not shining on the cross, we need to decide where we're going to shine. Jesus says, let your light shine before others, but he goes on and says, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our goal should never be recognition for ourselves or praise for ourselves, but only to bring glory to God. You know, there's a fine line between being God's light and putting on our own light show. Pride's one of those things that we all struggle with. And we need to ask God as well to help us overcome that. And we need to shine for Him. When Jesus spoke those words so many years ago in the temple courtyard and He stood up before the people and said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus was saying that he wants to be a mighty pillar of fire and light in your life. That's what's available. He was saying that he wants to be present, that he wants to protect, that he wants to provide, that he wants to guide and lead. That he wants you to walk in his light. And he wants his light to be in you and to radiate out of you so that you can be a light to the lives of those around you. So he asks you right now, that your light is bright this morning what's the plan how are you going to plug in and recharge and he asks you right now who are you going to shine on what's their name and he asks you how are you going to shine in a way that shines back on yourself? Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus, the light of the world, the light of our lives. I pray that for any of us here who, who want that light in a a bigger and almighty way that you will be faithful to your promise to come to us, to live in us, to have that deeper walk with us. And I pray that in turn, we will bring glory to the Father in all that we're doing. In the name and the power of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and God.